Happy Halloween! <laughs> and welcome to Historically Haunted's Halloween Edition. Tonight is the last installment of our three-part Halloween series, and to celebrate Halloween, we are going to Ireland to take a look at what some claim to be the most haunted house not only in Ireland, but in the world. This house is centuries old, and it is the place of a terrifying legend that ruined a family's lives, the night the devil showed up to play a game of cards. Before I start with this terrifying tale, I wanted to thank my Patreons for their support because their help makes this show possible by helping me pay for all the music and sound effects that you hear on the show, along with my recording equipment and podcasting host feeds. If anyone is interested, the link is down below in my show notes to my Patreon page. And as always, I wanted to thank all of you so much for being here to listen to every episode that I post because without all of you, I wouldn't be doing this at all. So from the bottom of my heart, Thank you all so much for joining me for every episode. If my voice sounds a little off in this episode, it's because allergies are kicking my behind this allergy season. I'm more of a fall allergy person, not so much of a spring allergy person. So when all of the leaves start dropping, my voice starts cracking and sounding really bad and my eyes turn dry and my nose will not stop running. It's a weird combination, but um, that's why I might sound a little off today. So just wanted to let everyone know that the allergies are here and I'm not sick or anything. So it's just allergies, but that's not going to stop me from recording the Loftus Hall episode. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to a place that I went to very recently called Lake Hickory Haunts. Lake Hickory Haunts is a large haunted attraction that is meant for older teens and adults, and it's located in Hickory, North Carolina. And when I went, I had a blast. If you like going through large scary houses and enjoy terrifying handmade horror movie style props, art, and set design, then you will love Lake Hickory Haunts. The staff were also amazing and I met some of the nicest people while I was also trying not to get scared. The scare actors were also super good with wonderful makeup and costumes and it had a lot of good jump scares that did get me because I don't scare easily and a few of them really got me. If anyone is near Hickory, North Carolina and looking for a haunted attraction, I highly would suggest that you check out Lake Hickory Haunts. I will have a link down below in the show notes to their official website. Also, if you go, please be respectful and follow the rules and do not film inside the houses if you go. They have really strict rules on this and when I was done with my time inside the houses, I overheard that someone was filming in front of a group of people with a phone and it ruined the experience for the people behind them. So please follow the rules and be respectful and just live in the moment because you will have a much more fun and scary time. All right, you guys, let's get this episode started and I hope you guys are ready because today 
We are going to Ireland. Before I began, I quickly looked through my list of episodes that I've made, and I don't think I've made an episode yet that actually takes place in Ireland. I know I've talked about the history of Halloween before in depth, and that does have Irish history in it, but I don't believe I've done a specific location that is set in Ireland yet. If I'm wrong, let me know, but I'm pretty sure I haven't. So this is going to be exciting. So it's time for me to hop across the pond, and remember, always respect the fairies. of history, superstitions, and terrifying legends. It is here among the country's beautiful green rolling hills that Halloween was born. The tradition of Samhain is an ancient festival that marked the end of the harvest season with a large party that began on the evening of October 31st and lasted until the sun went down on November 1st. Sometimes the party would last more than one day. The Celtic tribes would create large bonfires, sacrifice cattle to their gods, and have a large feast to celebrate and pray for a winter free of disease and famine. It was also on this night that they believed that the veil became thin, meaning that the veil between our world and the spirit world would become easy to cross over into. The spirit world was believed to be full of ghosts, monsters, and evil gods and goddesses. The tribes would leave offerings near fields for the fairies, also known as the Fae. Parents were worried about monsters, spirits, and fairies kidnapping their children, so they would dress them up in costume to make them look like monsters themselves, so that way the spirits would become confused and not know who to grab. On the night of All Hallows' Eve, it is said that the Dullahan, headless men on horses carrying their own heads, would ride across the countryside on black horses with flaming red eyes. If you see one, it would mean that death was coming for you. Another phantom to be wary of were hellhounds, as well as Lady Gwen. She is said to be a headless woman dressed in a long white gown who would chase people wandering alone at night. And don't forget about the wailing banshee, a terrifying female spirit who wails and shrieks into the night, warning all who hear her screams that death will soon come to their household. It's on these hollowed lands that ancient spirits are said to walk, and earth elementals glide through the countryside and dark forests. This is only scratching the surface of the terrifying tales to come from Ireland, and we will be adding another one tonight with the legend of Loftus Hall. Loftus Hall can be found on the Hook Peninsula, County Wexford of Ireland. Hook Peninsula is part of the southeast region of Ireland, and it's about an hour from Waterford City, famous for its Waterford Crystal. 
Some believe that the land that the hall now stands on was considered a sacred area and used by the ancient Druids. It is also about two hours south of Dublin, where the infamous Hellfire Club is located. I will be talking more in depth about the Hellfire Club for a Halloween bonus episode that I'm making for my Patreons. Today, Loftus Hall is a foreboding and decaying structure, sitting all alone on a cliff that juts out to the sea. The hall sits on a very isolated location Location, but the area is rich in the history of Ireland. Duncannon Fort was built from 1587 to 1588 by order of Queen Elizabeth I to defend Waterford against a likely attack from the Spanish Armada. The fort's position was meant to protect the entrance to the Waterford Harbor. The Spanish never made it to Ireland and the fort still stands today. One of the oldest lighthouses in the world is the Hook Lighthouse built at the very tip of the peninsula. Hook Lighthouse is the second oldest operating lighthouse in the world, being in operation for around 800 years. The Hook Peninsula was a gateway for people over the centuries. Waterford Harbor and Estuary is at the mouth of three rivers called the Three Sisters. The River Nore, the River Surer, and the River Barrow. Loftus Hall is located 3.6 kilometers or a little over two miles north of the Hook Lighthouse. Its history goes back to the 1100s AD, when the Raymond descendants first came here. During the 12th century in Ireland, there were several clans who were fighting for power. Each clan had its own king, and each king wanted to be the high king who had the most power. Now, as you guys know, I suck at names that I'm not used to, especially when they come from other areas, so I do apologize. I'm probably about to butcher a lot of names, but I'm, I tried really hard to find out how to pronounce these, so I hope they are slightly close to the actual way to pronounce these names. In 1166, the Irish king of Leinster, Dermid McMurkida, was overthrown and he fled to England. He decided that he wanted to ask King Henry II, who was the king of England and the king of Normandy, France, for permission to lead a group of Norman soldiers and knights back to Wexford to help him defeat his enemies so that he could regain his kingdom. King Henry II would only agree to this if McMurkida swore his loyalty to the king of England. He did, and in 1169, they went to war. In 1170, Norman Lord Richard de Clare came to England from Wales. He went by the nickname of Strongbow, and he arrived with archers, knights, and horsemen. McMurkida capture Waterford and then Dublin. After this, Strongbow married McMurkida's daughter. She passed away in 1171, which made Strongbow the new king of Leinster. By the 1170s AD, most of Ireland was controlled by the Normans. Strongbow's second-in-command was Raymond Le Gros Fitzgerald. Raymond was given land by Strongbow on the Hook Peninsula, and Raymond had a castle built in 1170, which he named Houseland Castle. He also changed his name at some point to Redmond. When the Black Plague began in 1350, the Redmond family replaced the castle with a mansion that they named Redmond Hall. They believed that the remote location was perfect to be isolated from the crowded cities and the peasants who noble families blamed for spreading the disease. King James I began his reign in 1603, and he was the first British monarch to rule over England, Scotland, and Ireland. James 
James was also a Protestant, and his goal was to join the three kingdoms together. However, he was strongly opposed by the Catholic Irish-speaking people of Ireland. So, starting in 1609, people from Scotland and England were encouraged to settle the northern region of Ireland with the hope that the Irish people would become friendlier toward the king, and these English Protestants became known as planters. The Irish Confederate Wars, also called the Eleven Years' War, broke out in 1641. Redmond Hall was the location for a few bloody battles, with the Redmond family being on the side of the rebels. They were able to successfully defend their castle against the English soldiers of King Charles I. However, the English army won the war, and the Redmond Hall property was given to the Loftus family, who were English planters. The Redmonds were evicted after 1650, and by 1618, Redmond Hall was known as Loftus Hall. Henry Loftus changed Redmond Hall to Loftus Hall officially after he moved there in 1684. The hall was then passed down through family members for the next 100 years or so. In 1752, the hall was inherited by Charles Totman through his maternal uncle Henry Loftus. This inheritance required Charles to add Loftus to his surname. After this, the hall was passed around to different family members over the years. Between 1872 and 1884, the hall was heavily renovated by John Henry Willington Graham Loftus, who oversaw the work with the help of his mother, who was lady-in-waiting and a good friend of Queen Victoria. During the renovations, the original hall was basically rebuilt, but it did include parts of the previous home. The hall had three stories, 22 bedrooms, and 97 windows. Many grand features were added to the mansion as well, including including a new grand staircase, a mosaic tiled floor, and parquet flooring. The hall also had things that were unique for the time, including flushing toilets and blown air heating, which is really cool because I didn't know that existed in the 1800s, so I thought that was pretty fascinating. I always thought that was an early 1900s invention, but apparently not. The home was built in the neoclassical style, which was typical for Ireland in the 19th century. The renovation took place because the family was expecting a visit from Queen Victoria, who had been invited by Graham's mother, but the visit never happened. John Loftus died in 1889, leaving the estate heavily in debt. The last descendant of the Loftus family died in 1890, and the bankrupt estate was eventually sold in 1917, when the Sisters of Providence bought the building to turn it into a convent and girls' school. It remained a convent for almost 70 years. The hall was sold in 1983, and became the Loftus Hall Hotel. The hotel closed down in the 1990s. In 2011, Shane and Aidan Quigley bought the property and worked to restore the gardens, courtyard, and the home. The mansion was open to the public for ghost tours and paranormal groups to investigate in. Almost 500,000 people have visited the house until it was sold again in 2021 to an unnamed buyer. However, according to an Irish Times article that I have linked down below, the article is from March 13th, 2022, and it says that the owners are a group named Oakmount, and their plan is to change Loftus Hall into a luxury hotel. They said it will take them six years to complete their project. The land that Loftus Hall now stands on has been the spot for several ghost stories dating back to after the bloody battles that ravaged the land during the Eleven Years' War. Strange things have happened in the home ever since, 
but nothing so mysterious as the most famous legend that is attached to the manor. On a dark and stormy night in the 1700s, Charles Totman Loftus was enjoying a family dinner along with his second wife and his youngest daughter named Anne. Anne was described as a tall, beautiful young woman who was not yet married. As the family sat comfortably in their home, there suddenly came a loud knock at the front door. A servant went to answer it and there stood a tall, dark stranger with dark hair, dark sunken eyes, but he still had a handsome face. He told the servant that a ship had wrecked in the storm and he was able to make his way to shore, but in the rain he could not see and he lost his way until he was able to make out the lights from the hall, which is what drew him to their doorstep. He begged the family to let him in until the storm blew over. Charles agreed and invited the man to join he and his family for dinner. As the dark stranger indulged, he began to open up and showed himself to be a polite and sophisticated guest. Anne quickly became enchanted by the stranger, who continued to flirt and lock eyes with her several times during the meal. The dark stranger proved to be such a gentleman that Charles asked him to stay longer so that they could all enjoy his company. During this time, the stranger and Anne became close. It was almost as if the family were in a trance-like state, being lulled into letting this stranger stay in their house for many days. One night during a lively game of cards with some of Charles's closest friends, another bad storm had come in that night. But instead of worrying about the storm, the group decided to play a game of cards. During the game, Anne continued to heavily flirt with the stranger. And in one very flirtatious move, she pretended to drop a card on the ground as she laughingly <laughs> bent down to retrieve it from under the table, she caught a glimpse of the stranger's feet. They were not a man's shoes, but instead two cloven hooves like that of a goat. After realizing what she had seen, Anne suddenly gasped, jumped up from the table and screamed. She continued to scream and started to panic, pushing herself away from the table. As all the men jumped up to see what Anne was screaming about, the stranger suddenly let out a loud, echoing, evil laugh. Then he grinned a twisted smile at the group. And then, to their horror, the dark stranger turned into a ball of flame and shot through the roof into the dark and stormy night. The hole and the burn marks are still there today, and it's said that no matter how many times the new owners try to cover it up, it always reappears. After the stranger left, paranormal activity in the home amplified, and Anne never recovered. It is said that she went mad and her parents had no choice but to lock her away in the tapestry room. She was forced to stay there, a prisoner in her own home, for the rest of her life, clawing at the walls, screaming into the night, and longingly looking out of windows for hours at a time, waiting for the tall, dark stranger to return. For even after her shock, she had fallen madly in love with him. As if that was not enough for the poor girl to handle, there was something else that caused her to be even more upset. 
it's believed that Anne was pregnant with the stranger's baby, and for fear that it would become a demon, the baby was killed and buried in the wall behind the fireplace. All of this was too much for Anne to handle, and she went insane. When she died, her body was so stiff due to Anne holding herself in the fetal position that her body could not be made to lay flat to be placed in a normal coffin. So, a special coffin was created just to hold her rigid body. Ever since Anne passed away in the hall, people have claimed to see a woman in a silk dress gliding around the halls. The paranormal activity also intensified so much that Charles himself ordered an exorcism to be performed on the house. A Catholic parish priest named Father Borders came to the hall and exorcised the home, focusing much of his time in the tapestry room. Even after the exorcism, Anne's ghost refuses to rest. Many believe she is the cause for much of the poltergeist activity still going on inside the mansion. People have also claimed to hear the sound of banging, scratching, screaming, and even the sad sound of a baby crying inside the tapestry room. Anne's ghost has also been seen looking out of the windows and slowly wandering the halls. When people see her, she is in a filthy white silk dress, has a blank look on her face, and long, unkempt hair. So that is one of the many variations of the legend of Loftus Hall. There are many versions of this tale. Some say that the stranger came in on a horse during a bad storm. Others claim that he just appeared out of absolute nowhere on the doorstep and immediately challenged Charles to a game of cards. Then there's other parts of the story that vary as well to it just being a game of cards only lasting one night, while some versions say that this tall, dark stranger stayed for many days. Whatever the version of the tale is, is there any truth behind it? And shockingly, yeah. Well, at least some of it. As the saying goes, most legends are born from some truth. When the hall was being renovated during the 1800s, carpenters did actually find a human skeleton of a baby in the wall behind the fireplace in the tapestry room. So if the devil didn't show up, maybe the family tried to cover up the fact that Anne was pregnant out of wedlock and they either had something go wrong during the birth and hid the baby in the wall or sadly they killed the infant to try to hide the fact that she was pregnant at all. Either way, it looks like Anne could not get over the grief because she did live out the rest of her days in that room and did go mad. So it appears that some of this legend is actually true. On the flip side of that coin, there is also still a hole in the ceiling and burn marks still on the walls, right where the legend said it would be, and it does keep getting uncovered. So maybe the devil did show up that night. Anne's brother was a member of parliament, and many have speculated that he was a part of the infamous Hellfire Club, a secret society that was extremely popular for men to be a member of in the 1700s, and they were believed to practice satanic rituals. The main building used for the Hellfire Club was built in 1725, and it's located on Mount Pellier Hill in Dublin. Both buildings are only about two hours away from each other, according to Google Maps. And this location is actually connected to Loftus Hall with a very creepy coincidence, one that I will be discussing with my Patreons in our fun bonus episode for Halloween. 
One thing's for certain, Loftus Hall is haunted, and it has hundreds of years of ghost stories to back it up. The legend of Loftus Hall itself is really good legend. It's just creepy and a fun one to tell at parties. But the actual hauntings that goes on inside this mansion are not only creepy, but there are tons of different types of hauntings here. It's no wonder that people think Loftus Hall is the most haunted house in Ireland. Before the house was bought by the Sisters of Providence to be turned into a convent, many rumors were swirling around the village that the dark history of the home had attracted a club of Satanists who held secret rituals and possibly human sacrifices inside the house. After the sisters began using the home as a convent, the house saw more bloodshed, with four nuns mysteriously dying on the property. Two drowned in the sea, one died on the grand staircase, and another died on the back staircase. For the nun who died on the back stairs, it appeared that she had fallen down the stairs, and many people believe that she was actually pushed. There is a cross on the first floor landing, marking the spot where she was found. To add more mystery to the spot, 40 years later, a man supposedly dropped dead in the same spot with no explanation. When the building opened its doors for an all-girls school, the students who attended the school at the convent saw many strange things. From oddly shaped shadows to balls of light that would travel around the halls, leaving a trail of light behind them. They also experienced hearing strange sounds during the night. One young woman who was studying at the school said that one evening she got up to go get a drink of water from the kitchen and she felt a presence behind her. She turned around to see an apparition of a woman in a white silk gown following her. The more she tried to hurry down the hallway and lose this strange specter, the faster and more persistent the apparition would become. Another student said that once she was walking down the main staircase when she suddenly looked up to see a group of glowing orbs. She claimed that the orbs seemed like they were sentient and they began following her. The woman panicked and tried to run from them down the stairs, but the lights floated through the ceiling to follow her. She stopped in her tracks to stare at them, and the balls of light suddenly flew at her and went into her chest. She ran to find help, and when she found the nuns, they refused to believe her, telling her that she was being silly and she was just trying to get out of her studies. These lights are apparently still seen today throughout the hall, and personally, I wonder if they're not ghosts, but what if they're elementals? 
Because remember, like I said in the beginning, the Druids used this place as a sacred land and Druids really believe that nature elements should belong where they are and not be disturbed. So these could in fact be elementals that are still wandering around the hall, wondering what the heck it's doing on their land. The front and back staircases are also haunted. People say that they have often seen nuns walking up and down along with the sound of disembodied footsteps. When the hall was being used as a hotel, guests witnessed poltergeist activity. Guests claimed to see strange shadows in weird shapes lurking in dark rooms and down corridors. Lights would flicker on and off, objects would go missing, and locked doors would fly open and slam. After the hotel was closed, rumors continued to swirl about the home. Finally, in 2011, brothers Shane and Aiden Quigley bought the home and opened Loftus Hall as a paranormal tourist attraction. Since then, multiple paranormal groups have gone through the home and captured some compelling evidence. Shane and Aiden did not buy the house for ghosts. They and their family wanted to turn the house into a retreat, much like others before them. During the summer, they made plans for renovations, but when winter settled in, they noticed that there was something wrong with the property. As nights became longer, the energy in the house shifted. What began as little things like knocks and the sound of footsteps turned into heavy poltergeist activity. The Quigley family really didn't know what to think about all of this, so they went into town and started to ask the locals more about the home, and they quickly learned that the house they had just bought to turn into to a retreat was a dangerous place. As the paranormal activity increased, it made renovations difficult, and the family decided to open the house for paranormal tours instead of turning it into a resort. They invited guests from all over the world to investigate, and one thing that the Quigley family noticed right away was that there was an energy that was much darker upstairs than anywhere in the house. The feeling of never being alone and being followed around the upper floors is very intense. During the time it was opened for paranormal tours, there have been some intense instances, even a possible possession. Guests began to get so affected while hunting on the upper floors that Quigley started to not want to bring tours up to the second floor. Many TV ghost hunting groups have also come to the manor, including Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear, and Irish Ghost Hunters. Camera and electrical equipment malfunctions happen often. People have felt an intense dark energy on the upper floors, and some have even felt a weird, uncontrollable urge to run from the house in fear. Others have reported feeling an intense, cold blast of air pass by them. And this is the part that really creeps me out personally, people have reportedly lost time in the house. Guests have either completely blacked out by fainting out of nowhere, or some have even found themselves wandering around the house with no explanation and they don't know why they're doing it. Most of the time, these people are found by their group who's looking for them. And when their group kind of shakes them out of it, they say that they don't know how long they had been gone and they have no idea what they're doing in whatever room they're found in. This actually happened on a show called Irish Ghost Hunters. A man from their paranormal group named Tom went alone to the upper floors and he started to hear some footsteps. When he got to the third floor, his camera started to malfunction and eventually cut out entirely. After a while of zero communication from Tom, the leader of the group, Tim, went upstairs to check on him and he found Tom at the topmost room of the house just blankly staring at a corner. 
It was almost as if he was in a trance-like state and he did not know how long he had been there. Tim had to talk to Tom and snap him out of the trance and physically lead him down the stairs and out of the house until he felt better. During another supposed possession that happened during a group tour with the Quigleys on site, the tour group had just entered the tapestry room when the light suddenly went out. The tour guide that night was named Alan, and he radioed Aiden Quigley to alert him of what had happened. Aiden told Alan not to move and that he was going to try to restore power. While the group was in the dark, a man suddenly lunged at a woman he did not know and began to strangle her. Alan screamed into the radio that he needed help, and Alan had to tackle the man to the ground. Aiden ran into the room to help Alan keep the man down on the floor, and the man kicked and screamed at the entire group. After they got him to calm down, the man seemed to snap out of it, and he was totally confused as to why both men were on top of him. He also claimed that he had no memory of this, and he was completely drained after the incident and felt horrible about it. This incident also deeply affected the man who is now afraid of the paranormal entirely. I have no idea if that story is true or not, but it is creepy. Another strange thing is that inside the chapel, there are small statues of Jesus and other Christian figures that adorn the space, and most of them have their heads decapitated. Apparently, no one knows why this keeps happening, but if you bring a new statue in, eventually it too will get its head broken off. There are also religious artworks on the walls, and these figures in those paintings have their eyes and faces scratched out by what looks like claw marks. Having a bad vibe inside the chapel is not new because when the chapel was open to the public while it was a convent, people in town did not want to go into that one at Loftus Hall, so they would travel further away just to not have to enter the house. The main reason was that they said that they felt like there was a dark and oppressive energy inside the chapel while they were attending mass. Many believe that the devil himself still likes to pay a visit to the hall. There is a room upstairs that is known as the devil's bedroom, and it's believed that this is the room where the dark stranger stayed during his time at the hall. In this room, people claim to smell the aroma of sulfur and feel a dark presence, along with seeing a large goat-like shadowy figure. When Destination Fear was investigating this room, they caught the sound of something moving and it sounded as if something large was getting off the bed that was located in the same room. People have also been pushed, tripped, scratched, hit, and even had a red handprint show up on their body out of nowhere. During the Ghost Adventures episode, season 12, episode 5, Zach was on the back staircase and he kept hearing noises that led him deeper into the house until he reached the third floor. Here, he caught a door move on camera by itself. And this door was not easy to move because he tested it in the same footage. But I did not like the way that the noises were basically leading him away from the main group. I thought that was pretty creepy. And that's just another thing that is said to happen inside this home, along with mimicking voices. So that means sometimes you could be somewhere and you'll hear somebody in your group say something and it wasn't them. Or I've even heard of people now, not just in the hall, but I mean, during other paranormal investigations at other locations, I've heard of ghost hunting go super weird where people will pick up on EVP recorders or hear with the naked ear, a friend like a friend's voice that is not with them on this tour or anywhere near where they are. 
or even like a family member or even creepier, their own voice. So when you start getting into mimicking voices territory, personally, that freaks me out because then you get into the doppelganger territory and all that is just a different kind of entity. Like it's very intelligent. It's very scary. And uh, that really does just freak me out. On the show Destination Fear, Dakota had an idea. And if you watch that show, then you all know that when he has an idea, it's never a good thing. But Dakota decided to have someone in the group be locked in the tapestry room all night during the investigation. This way, they could get a small sense of what Anne felt like while she was inside this room all alone. They drew from a hat and Tanner's name was picked. Now, when I watched the episode, I did realize they didn't actually lock him in there because there was no lock on the door at this point, but they pushed some furniture up against it. He could have gotten out if he really wanted to. I think Tanner was trying to follow the rules because it would have been pretty easy for him to move that stuff out of the way. So I think when all of what I'm about to explain was going on, I think he was really trying to follow the rules and stay inside the room because the whole point of this show is to be brave and face your fears. Even when you're scared, the whole point of it is try really hard not to run away. So while Tanner was inside the room, um, he actually actually had his radio cut out, which is a big claim in this house is that radio malfunctions again to separate you from the group. I still think that has something to do with that there. So he lost all communication from the group. So in the hours that he was alone, he actually was overcome with emotion at one point and he began to cry and he didn't really know why, but he just, he was saying, you know, like, oh, I think Anne is really sad for being in here all by herself, locked away in her own home. So he started to cry and then it got quiet for hours. Nothing happened at all. After hours of nothing, Tanner suddenly heard footsteps outside of the door and then there was a knocking sound on the door. Tanner stood up to see if if it was the group messing with him or if anyone was on the other side and he asked who was there and no one was answered and then suddenly there was a really loud hard bang on the door and it sounded like someone was trying to push it open but the furniture was in the way so I mean Tanner began to freak out and he was screaming for help because remember his radio didn't work so he was screaming for them to come check on the other side of the door and make sure that there was not a real person on the other side so meanwhile Dakota Chelsea and Alex were all on the third floor and it was super hard to hear poor Tanner screaming for help down below. But they finally figured out that they were hearing him after they radio checked him and it, they realized that the radio wasn't working. So they ran down to check on him and it was actually really spooky to watch. And I don't know how I would have handled that situation myself. Overall, Loftus Hall is a strange place and it's really haunted. Whether it be from ancient spirits like elementals, truly demons, knights that died during battles, or poor Anne forever locked in her home, one thing is sure, Loftus Hall seems to leave its mark on all who enter its doors. And if you ever get a knock at your door during a bad storm, be careful because it might just be a visit from the dark stranger. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining me for the spooky tale of Loftus Hall. And thanks for putting up with my weird voice. It keeps getting deeper and then high pitch and then strangely deeper again. Um, if anybody else has fall allergies out there, uh, I'm sure you understand how I'm feeling. It's a very weird, it's a weird one. It's a little bit different than the spring allergies, that's for sure. But before I go, I wanted to wish everybody a very happy Halloween. I hope that you have a safe one and have lots of fun with lots of tricks and lots of treats. 
I would also love to see your family's Halloween costumes this year. So if you feel comfortable, please make sure to comment on one of my open comment discussions I'm going to make on the Facebook group page and the Facebook main page. That way you can post a photo of your costume underneath that post. Make sure to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have links to all of those down below. And of course, I have a link to all of my sources from everything, all the history and paranormal claims are linked all down below in the show notes as well as my Patreon page. I also have a very special episode planned for the month of November. I don't want to spoil anything, but I will start advertising it once I know 100% it's going to happen. I'm hoping there's no technical issues while we try to do it, but I'm very excited for that episode. And the topic is going to be the Valinska Axe Murder House. So very excited for that episode. Once again, thank you all so much for joining me today to listen to this Loftus Hall episode. And I hope to see you guys back here really soon on Historically Haunted. Bye-bye, everybody, and happy Halloween. Mm -hmm.